When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We are live. Welcome into West by Pod, a podcast about WVU sports, the Big 12, relentless preseason optimism, and millennials. I'm Joel Bracken. Uh, you can find me at WV Stats Guy on Twitter. We got um, a special guest tonight, Jake Lance. He's at Night Stare, and we're always joined by Jordan Pinto at Game Day Shorts. Um, so yeah, we have finished up the deep dive series. We've talked through all the teams that West Virginia is going to face this year, and we talked about West Virginia. Um, today, we're kind of just doing a little preseason roundtable, talking about a few different topics um but happy to have jake on how have you been doing jake uh i have been great i've just been busy 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 it's proposal season at work so i'm working through that but excited to get started on on some football looking forward to some uh distractions on the weekends awesome <laughs> how you doing jordan are, is is like preseason optimism brimming over the top or, or where are we uh, got two weeks yeah to go. always the cup runneth over man you know you know how i stay i stay ready i'm i'm about as uh optimistic a guy as there will be i you know i i and yes and yes today specifically the optimism is running high had a little cookout this afternoon so beverages have been flowing so yeah i mean you could talk me into 11 wins right now i'd probably go along with it um but yeah i guess that's what we're that's what we're going to talk through today huh beautiful yeah no i feel like there was a teaser this weekend of some fall weather at least up here in ohio it was like Saturday morning was like low 50s. It felt like there should be like college game day coming on any minute. Um, so we're really like rapidly approaching. Very exciting time. So um, yeah, we, today we just have a couple topics kind of laid out, just talking through some different aspects um, of WVU. So the first kind of segment I guess we're going to do is superlatives. Um, so these are just a couple picks of people or position groups could be. Uh, that we think are going to stand out. So the first one we're going to do is just kind of the standard player of the year, um, and we're going to go offense and defense. So does anybody want to start? Jordan, I'm, uh, I'm going to pick you to start here with your offensive player of the year for the Mountaineers. Yeah, I think you know anybody who has who has listened to this podcast or has read any of the articles that I've written over the last, well, how long has he been on campus now? About, about three years and change now. Um, Look, if this season goes the way we want it to go, it's going to be because the quarterback position takes a leap 
and you know is not the last place or 69th out of 69 uh f or power five quarterbacks that it was predicted but garrett green right like it's it's because garrett green uh makes makes a little bit of a leap adds a moderate amount of passing ability to his uh to his electric legs and and is like you know maybe somewhere in the in the top half of the quarterbacks in the conference right like you know a guy who uh we can trust to uh, you know, not only make big plays, but like not put us in horrible positions either. So I think, I mean, you know, again, if we're, if we're going to have a good season, I think it's because uh, Garrett Green is, is leading the way. Jake, what about you? What are you thinking offensive player of the year? So offensive player of the year, I think the easy one is uh, Garrett Green because ultimately teams go as their quarterback goes. So uh, just so that we have something to talk about, I'm actually going to go with uh, Jalen Anderson, just because I think we need a second running back. So green can be great, but it's pretty easy to, to key on a running quarterback. I think we kind of saw that a little bit last year. You know, we surprised Oklahoma, but then Kansas State kind of kind of came out and said, oh, that's what you want to do. Cool. We can do that. Um, CJ, CJ Johnson can, can do everything he can, but I think having one or two guys, having a quarterback and one running back, it's kind of easy to key on. It's really easy to kind of develop a defense for that. So having a second guy, having Jalen Anderson be able to do something, I think is really key for us because I think ultimately we're going to be a 60% running team. I think we're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. So having someone who can take those those extra carries from Donaldson is going to be key. I love that, man. You guys know, Joel knows that I love Jalen Anderson. I think he's, I mean, he's a very high level uh, running back. So it's a solid pick, man. Solid pick. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to go for my offensive MVP. I'm going to go or player of the year. I'm going to go Zach Frazier, which obviously is our uh, only Big 12 guy, all Big 12 guy in the preseason. Um, you know, obviously not in a lot of love on the offensive line when we're talking of like who's the best player on the side of the ball. But I think Zach Frazier, I mean, you look at some of the numbers. He's got over 2,200 snaps at WVU. Um, and if we're talking in terms of who could like win awards in the conference and maybe even further, uh, it's hard to look past this guy, especially like you said, if we're going to be running, he's had over an 80, uh, run block grade the last two seasons on PFF. So, you know, potentially all big 12, potentially, you know, could borderline all American could win some awards or be in those like semifinalist. Um, so I'm going to go with Zach Frazier on the offensive line. Moving, moving to the defense now, I'll, I'll go ahead and start with the defense one since I went last. I'm going to do, this is obviously predictive, I'm going to go with Lee Koba. Um, I know Jordan and I talked about Lee Koba a lot last year, and I think there was a little to be desired, but um, the things that I will highlight are he had the most snaps on our defense last year, so obviously a ton of experience, durability, um, a great tackler, pretty low um, percentage of his tackles were broken. The, the clear thing that he sort of lacks was the the coverage um also he was our second highest pressure guy and he's going to be our returning highest pressure guy but in the coverage that was really where things didn't work out for him i think he was targeted 27 times and uh there were receptions on 24 of those targets and that's pretty bad and my sort of predictive mvp or player of the year for for koba here is that Getting him into the situations, I think we talked about this a lot last year, Jordan, was just getting him into the positions that he thrives and and really like utilizing his skill set. Um, clearly, he's a force when when he's running downhill and when he's um, you know pressuring the quarterback or, or making a tackle in open field. Maybe not as much coverage, so you know I would love to see a big jump from him and him coming into this season and, and with all the experience last year. I, I think it's possible. 
For sure, yeah. I mean, just don't don't ask them to cover people, right? Like, it's just, it's, <laughs> yeah. we're this is a, the theme of the season. We're falling back on our strengths. Lee Kogba's strength is not coverage, so why would we have him fall back on that? Attack the attack the line of scrimmage, man. Like like seriously. I mean, you know. So I know Jake feels the same way. Jake and I have had many passionate uh, late night. I think rants back and forth in the Discord about like why the. F- F aren't we, uh, why aren't we, why aren't we sending these guys after the ball? Like, why aren't we just getting in the backfield? Like when people can't cover on the back end, go, go get the ball. I don't, I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah uh, you know, I, I, I think of Lee Koba as Bobby Boucher, see the ball, go get the ball. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like just that, that's the easiest thing with him. See the ball, go get the ball. Don't, don't ask him to do what he's not good at. Um, and he would be my pick for defensive player. You know, I think if, if the defense is going to be good, it's going to be because of him. Um, I'm going to actually throw out there Mike Lockhart just because I think mm. defensive line is one of those things that I wanted to write about this year, but work kind of kept that from me. And my big question has always been, is the defensive line going to be able to replace Dante Steeles? And I think that Lockhart's not going to replace the, the tackles for loss that Steeles had. But if you have someone who can at least keep that line off of Koba, you know, and kind of pull that uh, Vince Wolferk. Uh, body where you can just say, hey, look, your whole job is to eat up two blocks and make them spend an extra extra ounce and let Koba just you know kind of get a, a free run at, at the quarterback, I think will be really good. And it'll be one of those where at the end of the year, Koba's going to get all the awards and accolades and, and, you know, and at the end he's going to be going, yeah, my defensive line was the one keeping me free and allowing me to go hit people. Yeah, it's a, it's a great shout out. I, you know, I, a lot of people, rightfully, right, we, we lose Justin Je- or, uh, Jordan Jefferson in the portal to LSU. And Jefferson made a ton of plays. He, he was a guy who was in the backfield a lot. But if you read some of the criticisms of him, is that maybe he wasn't necessarily the best role player or team player. As, as the guy playing in the nose tackle position um, was more excited to get off of blocks and go make the tackle than occupy two or three people like Jake's saying. And let the run, then let the linebackers go through. And, and, you know, when one guy's not doing their job, that's all that it takes for a crease to open. Lee Kogba thinks that Jordan Jefferson is going to be in the A gap. So he needs to shoot the B gap. And all of a sudden, Jordan Jefferson's in the B gap. Uh, you know, so the A gap's open, right? That's how cutback lanes happen. That's how all this stuff happens. So, you know, I think it's a situation where, right, like if Mike Lockhart, uh, Fatorma Mulba, um, if our nose guards, if our interior defensive linemen this year are, are I don't know if the, they can't replace Stills, right? Stills was a game wrecker. Um, but if those guys can be good at that, if they can be serviceable, do their job, try hard, and, and just occupy blockers, it's going to be a huge, uh, huge benefit, huge value for the defense. So it's a good, it's a, it's a good shout out. Let's uh, let's just take the. Uh, I'll take this three levels here. Um, Jake did the D line. Joel did the the linebackers. I, I think the 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 obvious pick or the an easy pick, right, is Aubrey Burks, um, highest graded returning defender um, per PFF of of uh, any of the legacy Big Twelve teams. Um, I think the highest graded returning safety in P five. Um, but yeah, no, I mean we've talked about it. He kind of got lost in in that shitty secondary and that disaster of a back end that we had last year, but. Um, he wasn't responsible, right? He made, he made a ton of plays. He was in the box, played a lot of free safety on the back end. He was always in the right spots in coverage. So, um, you know, I think for a secondary that took its lumps last year, right, he was a bright spot. And now you look, and hopefully these guys are all a year better. And with him at the back of the defense, maybe some of these big plays that we gave up last year that really kind of broke our back. Um, yeah, I don't know if they go away all, all together, right? But hopefully there's there's a few uh, fewer of them. So, um I'm going to go with Aubrey Burks, AB2. Great call. Yeah, I mean, I think there are potential, you know, 
game changers at all three levels here. Um, there are guys, obviously, when things go right, we uh, a couple of these guys are going to step up, and, and probably those guys that we mentioned are the are the most likely ones to to be the difference makers. Um, so moving into the next category we have here for superlatives, so it's newcomer of the year. So obviously, this one is a little predictive. This is uh, get yourself excited. Who could who could pop a little bit? Uh, for some guys that are coming in, this could be freshman coming in, hasn't played much, or this could be transfer. Um, so, Jake, do you want to get this one started? Absolutely. So I'm going to go two on this one, and I'm probably going to steal uh, Jordan's thunder here. I think on okay. offense, it's going to be uh, Traylon Davis. I think just everything you hear is that dude's the walking number one. Right? Traylon Ray? Traylon Ray. There it is. Traylon Ray. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, everything you hear about uh, Traylon Ray is that this dude is the number one, right? He, he's the guy we've been missing. I think we've all kind of said that while we had experience at wide receiver over the past few years, we never really had a dog. Yeah, I think we got a dog now. I mean, that, that dude, just everything you hear is that dude is a true, legit Kevin White, number one, going to go out there and, you know, take the ball. Um, so I think if at the end of the year, if we're not talking about Garrett Green going for – 2000, you know, 2000 or whatever, you know, if he doesn't have a thousand, 1200 rushing yards, 2000 passing yards, and, and, you know, 14 total touchdowns, we're probably talking about Traylon Ray on the offense side. On defense, you know, I'm going to throw a little shout out here, and this hurts me a little bit as a Giants fan, but James Hurd Jr., Jordan Leslie came out and said the dude's best, the best natural pass rusher we have on the team. And this is a true freshman. He already had one where, rushed the passer, knocked the ball down, picked it off, ran it back in. That was his whole highlight right there. I've got a buddy that lives up in Philly, and he ever, ever since Heard committed to West Virginia, he has been raving about this dude. And everything I've seen just confirms it. I, I think by the end of the year, you could see a Bruce Irvin light in terms of, hey, put him in on third and long, and we finally start getting some of those. But we can get off the field here, right? You know, we don't have a guy committing – or completing a, a third and 14 pass, you know, and getting 15 yards or, or breaking a big run because we finally got somebody who gets after the quarterback, knocks him down, keeps him on the ground. I think those are those are two awesome shout-outs, two true freshmen, right? And I, I think the exciting thing about both of these dudes is, like, you, you know, the big concern is, like, are these dudes physically ready to pre- ready to play? Heard weighed in, uh, like, I think, like, 17 pounds bigger than we expected. So he came in, he's 6'2", 235, so certainly big enough to be a situational pass rusher, right? And then Traylon Ray, I think he was listed at, like, 6'1", uh, like, 180. Got on campus, he's 6'3", 195. So, like, you know, um, so so two very, very, very uh, pleasant surprises there. I think the um, the Heard one is really good, right? Like, we're, we're talking about the lack of pop from our true defensive linemen. If you have a bandit, uh, we haven't had a bandit consistently off the edge uh, in four years since Neil Brown got on campus who could apply pressure. If somebody like James Hurd, even situationally, can come in, rush the passer, and actually be somebody people have to account for, it's a big difference. But, um, yeah, man, dude, <laughs> Ray Ray was my pick. Ray was my pick for offense newcomer of the year. And, like, I just can't wait for, like, the stories coming out of camp about this guy is fucking George Pickens, right? Like it's like, oh, he made a, a one-handed catch in one-on-ones today, or oh, he he led, he was the leading receiver in scr- oh, he's the leading receiver in the scrimmage again this weekend, and like I can't wait for you know hearing all this, and then he plays like eight snaps against Penn State, and I'm gonna be ripping my hair out the entire fucking time <laughs> as nobody gets open, um, but no, like no, it's exciting. Like I mean. This dude walked in mid-July wearing his baseball jersey and is apparently our best receiver. 
And like, I don't know. I mean, I sent you guys some Snapchats. I'm not outing any sources here, but I got people talking to coaches in the building who are saying this guy is very obviously our most talented receiver like right now. Right. Like, you know, you figure out the rest of it. Can he play every down? Probably not right away, but like talent wise, he's a walking NFL receiver. Um, for defense, I picked Anthony Wilson. Um, you know, I think one of the uh, – so I was a big Marcus Floyd fan last year um, for, for a lot of the same reasons I was a Hershey McLaurin fan. Um, but some of the stuff we learned over the – you know, just like athletically, they, they looked the part. But like some of the stuff we heard over the offseason is that Marcus Floyd was somebody who was targeted by opposing defenses because he was a little bit one-dimensional um, at the cat safety position. Anthony, uh, is it? It's Anthony Wilson, right? Am I saying the right name? Hold on a second here. Anthony Wilson. Anthony Wilson. Yeah, the transfer from from uh, from Georgia State. Um, so three time three time all conference player at Georgia State. Um, kind of plays a little bit of safety, a little bit of corner. Perfect for that for that cat safety role. Um, and you know, I don't know if he's going to be a week one starter, but I do think that he's somebody who kind of the way that um, Jasir Cox did, right? Where like he came in, he had a bigger and bigger impact as the year went on. By the end of the year, he was one of our best defensive players, I thought, last year. I can see that being the case with Anthony Wilson as well because, obviously, uh, ton, tons of uh, tons of recognition at the at the G5 level at Georgia State. Um, and uh, it's a position of need. It's, you know, it's a position that was a weakness for us last year. So I um, could see him coming in, playing next to Burks and, and maybe Hershey McLaurin. And, I mean, the you know, the back end of this defense looks completely different this year. Yeah, and I'm actually going to stay in in both the same uh, position groups there. So my uh, my newcomer of the year on offense is Rodney Gallagher, um, four star guy, lots of lots of hype coming in, dual sport athlete, played a lot of quarterback. Obviously, he's at the receiver position now, um, but you read some of his his um, recruiting write up, and it's pretty impressive. You know, he's a basketball player, played a lot of quarterback, uh, creative runner in the open field, uh, elite athlete or elite elite frame for the slot position um and his you know analysis says could be impact receiver for a top 10 program mid-round nfl draft potential um so obviously that's potential that needs to be realized and um part of coming to college is usually bulking up i think he came into college just 160 pounds so um at 510 gonna get a little bit bigger but four-star guy and would love to see that pop this year obviously the receiving room is wide open i mean the we've we've covered it a couple times but the production that is returning is is very limited so it's a wide open room defensively uh, i'm also going to be in the defensive backs i picked montre miller um and this is a guy just kind of like with the the experience he has so um he's played almost 1800 snaps these were all at kent state (laughs) you know we're in that funny era of college football right now where he's played five full seasons of football and now he is coming for his sixth season um, you know, he kind of struggled along the first couple seasons, not a lot of snaps, uh, but the last two he's played over 700 and last year he graded out almost at a 79 for PFF. So I think the defensive back room is another room, at least in the two deep, that's a wide open room. Um, and, and hopefully we can see Montre Miller making a little bit of impact there. So he's our, uh, he's our car rental guy for the defensive backfield. Huh? They're having, they're having a little, uh, team outing at the uh, Applebee's on a Thursday night. Montre is the guy who rents the car for him. So that's yeah. exciting <laughs> for Montre. It's a, it's a badge to wear with honor. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So last superlative we have here. This is the X factor or difference maker. We're going to talk on both sides of the ball. Um, I'll go first for this one. 
My offensive side of the ball, maybe this is a little bit of a wild card. I went with Sean Reagan. This is the passing game coordinator. He was the tight end coach the last two years. And the reason I went with this is the, you know, sort of difference maker is my biggest worry is that we do not threaten teams enough in the passing game. And especially what we've noted about the receivers, you know, the the limitations or just the lack of experience we have in the receiving room. Um, what can... What can Sean Reagan draw up here as our uh, first year in the passing game coordinator position? And he's also the quarterback's coach. Um, what can he do to, to make the passing game hum? You know, we don't have a, a pocket passer. We do not have, um, you know, we'll see what progression Garrett Green's made throughout the, the offseason. But I think the ability to at least keep defenses honest are gonna, is going to be really big because I think we're going to run and I think we're going to have the talent and we're going to be successful running the ball. It's just can we make them respect the pass. So I'm looking at Sean Reagan saying, hey, what can we do in the passing game um, to really keep this thing you know, not predictable and, and just keep this thing moving? Defensive, defensively, my difference maker is Sean Martin. And I think for a lot of the same reasons Jake was mentioning just with the defensive line, you know, obviously it's going to start there. Um, can Sean Martin make that jump to be, you know, some version of Dante Stills and fill, fill some of those stats that we're losing from Dante? Um, Sean Martin was our third most snaps on the defensive line last year. Graded out at a 72. I mean, this is one of the highest graded guys on our Good defense. Player. Um, great player and you know really would love to see him take that next step because obviously we're losing a, a, a really good guy on the d-line so uh, those are my two difference makers yeah the the regular one's a great call out i mean right there there shouldn't be too much of an easier job than figure out how to like take advantage of the one-on-one matchups for for a team that's hopefully successfully but running the ball 60 percent of the time like jake said yeah so um yeah, so mine, um, offensively, uh, so I'm looking at Traylon Davis. Um, and so you you look at the team, you look at the tight end depth chart. We have Cole Taylor who came in from LSU, right? He's getting lauded for his pass-catching ability. Um, but this, this is a team, we're, we're trying to run the ball on people this year, right? And so... Um, you know, Traylon Davis, I, I thought towards the back half of last year after Mike, Michael Laughlin, you know, kind of was done for the year, Traylon Davis had the job full time. Um, I thought he did a really nice job. I thought he was a good two-way player. You know, he made catches. Um, he wasn't targeted a whole lot, but it felt like every time we targeted him, he caught the ball and kind of flashed as like a pretty good blocker, right? Um, and so, you know, I think this is going to be a team that probably uses two tight ends, Um more than any of any of our other teams in the Neil Brown era, for sure. Um, but I just wonder, you know, is Traylon Davis a guy who, as the season wears on, like if we're seeing, you know, I'm sure Colt, is Cole Taylor more of a luxury, right? Where Traylon Davis is more of the every down, hey, we're trying to get six yards right now uh, off tackle. You know, Traylon Davis gives us a better chance to do that than Cole Taylor does. So, um, you know, I, I'm looking at him as, as – you know, maybe he isn't ever listed as a starter on the depth chart, but does he get more the, the most snaps at the tight end position because of his two-way ability as a blocker and as a receiver? So, um, Traylon Davis offensively. Defensively, um, I'm looking at either Andrew Wilson-Lamp or Jacoby Spells. I know Wilson-Lamp is, is listed as a starter, um, but, you know, I mean, Joel, you, you talked about Montre Miller. We also got Beanie Bishop in, who is a, a three-year starter, 
uh, at various schools, right? Like kind of was at a lower level, then moved up to Minnesota last year. Um, was, was, I think their third corner. Um, so didn't start, but like played third corner, um, got a ton of snaps, graded out really well. So you feel good about like one side, you feel decent about maybe one side of the defense, but like, are these younger guys, right? Wilson lamp flash. I think he graded out like a 68, uh, 68 or a 69 per PFF. Uh, once he started playing down the stretch last year, um, can he maybe take a step forward and be a guy on the other side? And also Jacoby spells, right? We saw the big playability, but he also got beat a good bit. Um, so I'm looking, you know, can one of those two guys kind of elevate, right? We, we talk about taking your lumps. Have they learned anything? Can they be better this year? Um, opposite. Cause I, again, I feel good about the other side, like 5,000 combined snaps between these two guys, um, at the G five and P five level. Uh, so, you know, somebody has to step up on the other side and, and, and be somebody that people can't take advantage of. Yeah. <clears throat> so offensively, I think one of the things that, that I've got a question on is we heard a whole lot about how we've got three all big 12 offensive linemen, but yeah. when you space them out, you, you go tackle center tackle. So you don't have like an entire left side or entire right side that you can say, you know what, we're just, we're running this way, boys. Right, we're just going to road grade you on this side, and we don't care. You can blitz around the other side, but by the time you get here, we're gone. Um, so, I think if we end up having the season that we all want and hope, it's going to come down to to Remac and uh, Yates. I think Yates is probably the guy that I'm, I'm kind of looking at here. Going, you know, if we really can do what we want to do, Yates is going to have to kind of step up. That we we had this thing where we wanted Nestor to be a guard, and we wanted to kind of have this. Uh, this one side of the line, and it didn't quite work out. So now Nestor has moved back over to tackle. Um, so if Yates is, is where he needs to be and, and can can hold his own and, and does better as a guard, I think we have the ability to kind of just say, you know what, I, I don't care what you call it. go right, right, go left. Just go left, go left, go left, go left, go left. Um, so th- that's kind of what I'm looking at here on the offense. I think, you know, we end up having a good year. You're going to be talking about that a little bit. Um, defensively, I think you've kind of all said it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm curious about what happens on the on, on these corners because that's just been so bad. It's just it was, so bad. It, it was really it, bad last like, year. Like it, it, I don't know that it can get worse, I, and, and I don't really want to jinx us, but I, you know, I it's one of my that. biggest positives. Right? Is like how how could it be any fucking worse than it was last year? Right. So I remember I reached out to a guy that I really respect, and he just kind of going. I, I'm not sure, man. I don't know what they're supposed to be doing here. So the one thing I was kind of looking at while you guys were talking is, did you know that from 2014 to 2018, we had a place kicker score at least 90 points and score over 100 points multiple times? And we've not come anywhere close to that in the Neil Brown era. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the offense is bad. But I, <laughs> There's wonder, no extra points. <laughs> but I do wonder if Danny King and Michael Hayes, if, if we have somebody that we can trust, if you can start stealing some possessions, right? You can, if Garrett Green can drive the thing down, take four minutes off the clock, and we can go kick a field goal from the 45 or whatever and steal three points, and you do that, you do that, you score 10, you score seven, you score seven, hey, all of a sudden you're up in there the 21, 24 points, and, and that's, that's a winnable game. Right. That, that, that's when you can start talking about, hey, we can lean on the defense a little bit, maybe make a stop here and, and go win the game and grind something out. So I wonder if if this season really is the way that we think it might be, if we're not talking about, um, 
Danny King having having 100, 110 points and you know hey you remember that field goal he kicked against TCU to win the game do you remember when he when we scored nine points in the first half and then we broke off three runs and we scored 21 in the second half all of a sudden we're at 30 right like it's one of those where I think hidden hidden yardage and hidden, hidden points can come into play and so it wouldn't surprise me if he has a good season and we get a we have a weapon on special teams if we're not talking about him a little bit. So that's a great one, right, dude? Special teams play for for like uh, you know I know we've all talked in the chat in the Discord thing about it, but like for a guy who was kind of advertised as I'm going to come in and win in the margins, um, and like you know special teams is one of those areas, right? Like special teams have been kind of shitty the last two years. Um, yeah. Last year field position was horrible. Like I went, we were like one of the last in the country, one of the worst in the country. I, what was our like the average opponent of starting field position was like the thirty two or something like that. Yeah. It was like further than that. Yeah, it was bad, which is insane. <laughs> like if you, if you look at uh, like score plotting probabilities, it, it's like I think ours was a twenty six and theirs was a thirty two, and on average over the course of a season, that's worth like half a point more per drive those eight yards or yeah. you know whatever the case may be right so we're giving away how many possessions are in a game like i don't know 10 15 12 you're giving, away, you're giving away a touchdown a game in field position yeah which the is, thing that always got me is that you know they love to brag about hey we gave up like 10 punt return yards all all year or, or something crazy we had like the lowest punt return <laughs> like, yeah they're fair catching really at hard. the 35 doc as like, i said that's not really hard when you just you pooch punt it and you don't don't let them return the ball, yeah. right? Like it's one thing if, hey, we're doing that and we've got a great coverage team and we cough and corner it and you just you can't do anything. It's another when you just pooch at twenty five yards and you have to fair catch it at the fifty. Th- those are those are selective stats, and right. I'm in the business of that. And that's that's uh yeah. What, what's the the field position flip? Because punt returns yards are not the the thing that's important. It's the field position change. And if, yeah, if you're pooching it and they're not returning it, well that's that doesn't mean anything. That's still not a good result. Doesn't matter if you kicked it fifty and they returned it twenty five. It's the same result. Um, so. All right, cool. So, so next topic we're going to handle here. Favorite story coming out of camp, um, and this can just really be anything throughout the off season. What, what have you? Uh, what story have you liked hearing? Um, I can go first here. I, I'll, I'll talk about something I really liked seeing. Just this is super random and not important, but I like seeing Joe Missoula going back to uh, back to Morgantown and talking with the football team. I thought that was pretty cool. Obviously, he's like a super relevant sports figure, WVU alum right now, and just talking about, um, you know, the opportunity WVU gave him and, and you know, still kind of wearing the flying WVU with pride. So I thought that was cool. Other story, just kind of um, a small thing. To be honest, I really like that we were picked last in the conference. Like, I think if we were going to be picked 12th, I might as well just let's be picked 14th. Like it's, it's the fact that every single game we got in play at the beginning of the season, we were picked as the worst team in this conference. And, you know, Neil said it, I think, I don't think there's been a ton of this, but Neil's like, you know, I don't think we're going to be the worst team in the conference. And, and just that like eternal chip on your shoulder. Like every time you go out there, no matter who you're playing other than, than our FCS opponent, um, you're, you're probably going to be the underdog. Maybe Pitt might be a flip, but um, at least from today, looking forward, pretty much all we're, we're saying, or the media is saying, every team you're going to play is better than you. Um, and I kind of like that. Like, what's you know, I'd rather be 14th and 12th in a preseason outlook, just for the, the motivational purpose. I think Charles Wesley Godlin, he, he said it, man. Right? That's all you got to say. 14. 
Like Neil should Neil's job is easy as fuck getting these guys up for these games, right? Like it, it should be the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, no, that, that's an interesting take, and I, I actually I, I like that. I like the, the idea. I like of, it too. You know what? Hey, we're going to be us against the world, and, and you've got bulletin board material every single week. Um, you know, pinning on the board, fourteenth, and you know, yeah. I, I, I applaud Neil for coming out and saying, you know, not not pussyfooting around it, not not beating around the bush, and going, no, I think we'll be better. Like definitively, we ain't going to finish fourteenth. Yeah, good for you. When yep. you're back against the wall, you kind of have to say that either way. But still, like I like the mentality. It's like, yeah, right. No one believed in us, and it's been it's been shown. It's like we said. Like you're either right or you're wrong, and you get fired. So it's yeah. you know whatever. Right? Double down. <laughs> but uh, no, hey, historically, I, I know that as a fan, I've always liked it better. I mean, it's cool winning. It's cool winning being the front runner. It's cool having that target on your back. But there's something special about you know us against the world fuck everybody nobody believes in us kind of thing so definitely um my favorite thing out of camp you know i think uh we've we've kind of buried the lead here a little bit right with but but it's it's the young guys making plays um offense last year just no pop no explosiveness um you know whether that's a, a case of the scheme or whether it's the guys um who are executing the scheme it, it just feels like I mean, we have some playmakers, or we potentially have some playmakers. So, like, young guys making plays at camp is my favorite my favorite storyline. You have dudes like Jaheim White, uh, DJ Oliver in the backfield, who, you know, probably aren't going to play a ton just because the guys in front of them are so good. But uh, Traylon Ray, Rodney Gallagher, you know, who we've already talked about, right? Like, if these guys can give us some certified playmakers at the skill position, it just makes things so much differently. I know that, like, we talk about TCU and just, like, Having that be a part of your offense where I'm going to throw a shitty five-yard pass and it's going to turn into a 40-yard gain um, is is just invaluable. I, it's the biggest reason why I've advocated for Garrett Green for the last couple years because despite the questionable decisions, despite you know the errant passes, all that kind of stuff, there's going to inevitably be a third and 11 that he should get sacked and we should be punting that he's going to pick up 30 yards on a first down. And it's going to change you know the, the momentum in the game. And so... Um, I think young guys making plays. I, I love hearing it injected all into my veins. I, I and like I need to see every single clip of Traylon Ray from here on out. I need to see all twenty-two footage of him from here on out. So yeah, I, that's where I would have gone to. It, it's just it's the excitement of having the young guys. You know, excitement to see what these guys can do. Um, I think the one thing for me is is hearing about the wide receivers. I you know I think we all kind of think, expect, know that this offense is going to be run heavy, but hearing, hearing what we can do, you know, I, I always keep kind of going back to Skylar Howard and, you know, just, Hey, roll back, chuck it deep and, you know, hold your breath and Hey, Shelton Gibson got it. And all of a sudden we're running down the sidelines and you give me that a few times a game. We can be, we always said, be, be exciting and bad. If you're going to be bad, at least be exciting. Yep. <laughs> Don't be boring. Be, be fun. Trademarked. Right. Copyrighted. Yeah. I, I think I mentioned this in the last pod, but I, I do think it's just another thing worth mentioning in the, in the preseason outlook that, you know, this is a young team and the number of seniors we have starting projected uh, senior starting, I think is, what did I say? Like six? I think you said team. six on the two deep. I think it's six on the, I think six we have starters. Like, I think like three on each side, three on each side of the ball, like three senior starters on offense, three on defense. And that's just like an important thing to remember is that like young dudes making plays like this could definitely be a 
loading up here. It's year zero, so you know, whatever. We can. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. We should win now, but um, we yeah, just just something to, to keep in mind. Um, so okay, next topic. Biggest concern heading into Penn State. This can be really anything you want um, at a at a big level or or um, at a you know singular player position group, whatever. Um, so what what is keeping you up at night thinking about the the season opener and Happy Valley? All right, so I'll go first on this one. The single thing that's keeping me up at night is is just the fact that I think the offense is going to be run heavy and specifically RPO heavy. And I'm not sure what happens if we go three and out, Penn State scores. We go three and out, Penn State scores. It's 14 nothing five minutes into the game. And all of a sudden, that game plan that we've been spending the last three weeks on is out the door, right? It's one thing to say, hey, we're going to run the ball and we're going to grind this out. It's another thing to be punched in the mouth, be down 14 or 17 points in the first quarter and be like, well, crap, now we got to throw the ball. And everything we've been working on just didn't work. Um, So that's the single biggest thing. And that that carries over in the season, right? Like if if any team just loads up the box and says, we're going to dare you to throw the ball and we can't, it's going to be a long, miserable season. I, so that, that's kind of where I stand. I think Penn State's going to be really good. They're already top ten in like every poll. The defense is going to be phenomenal. I, you know, this could be one of those games where it could be twenty-one to seven and not even be that close. Yeah, I, I'll go. I'll follow that up just because you basically, you know, you almost read my notes verbatim. Same thing I was thinking as well. Just like. Can we be enough to respect in the passing game to, you know, know that if we, we load the, the box is loaded, like, can we explain anybody? Can we keep defenses honest? And then, yeah, kind of the other thing you mentioned was when we get off schedule, this offense probably is not designed to play from behind. Um, you know, keeping the game going along, keeping the game on schedule and not getting down multiple scores early. Um, I do not think that's going to be a good opportunity for this this offense to thrive. And then just maybe a secondary thing would just be um, you see this with especially like early season and a lot of sports is just like the ability to finish and um, being, you know, like conditioning all that, like you're ready to go. It's the first game of the season, but you know, being like real time live action is always different than practice. So the ability to finish coupled with depth is like Penn State is probably a much deeper team than us. So it's like, do we have enough bodies to get out there? If we find ourselves in a dogfight, can we play through the end of the third quarter and finish the fourth quarter? Um, and that's just something you always get at the beginning of the season. So if we win the toss, we we, we got to take the ball, right? I think so. I think we do. So counterpoint to everything that you guys have said is we take the ball, Garrett Green shoves it right up their ass. We go up 7 nothing quick and never look back. Sign me up. I'm in. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, yeah. So my biggest concern, uh, it's the playmaking on the D line. Um, you know, we have, we have been a low pressure, low havoc group up front for several years now. Um, but we always had, we've always had a stills brother and, and in, in some cases, two stills brothers who, um, could still get into the backfield, could still like make things happen, create negative plays, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, I, I very much subscribe to the idea that creating negative plays and creating explosive plays on offense are probably the two single most important things that you can do on either side of the ball. Efficiency is great, but 
creating a play, creating a negative play that turns a second and six into a third and 11. Or uh, conversely, you know, the example I gave earlier, third and 11, broken play, scramble, pick up 17 yards and get a first down, right? Like those are the two most single valuable traits that an offense or defense can have. And just looking at this defensive line, like I, I buy what they're trying to sell. You, I, I think the guys have been selling, oh, we're strong up front and we have a lot of guys who can rotate in and all this stuff. And that's all fine and dandy, like, right? Like we can, I'm sure that they're serviceable. I'm sure, I mean, they're power five players. Sean Martin's a good player. Lockhart's a good player. All these guys are good players. But like, where is the pop going to come from up front? And, you know, maybe shit, if James Heard. If James Hurd's ready to go, right, problem solved. If we use Kogba a little bit differently this year where he's getting downhill, um, we're, we're turning him loose, letting him get into the backfields, then problem solved. But um, I think just in general, the, the defensive line, uh, defensive line havoc, defensive havoc generally um, are kind of my two biggest concerns because they've been problems for a couple years. Um, you know, we've last in the conference last year and passes defended. Um, very low in takeaways over the last several years. Um, you know, I think, like, I looked, like, the last four four years of, of uh, Gibby and Dana, like, we, you know, generated over 20 takeaways every single year. And I, don't, I think we've done that maybe one time with Neil Brown, maybe two, maybe not at all, actually. The highest he might have ever had is, like, 18. So, um, yeah, defensive havoc, especially along the defensive front, is is – my biggest concern for the season. It's also going to play a big role against Penn State, obviously, with the with the two running backs that they have. So, definitely, yeah. Don't want to see them running running crazy early in the game. It's not going to be not going nah. to be good for us. No. Nah. Um. All right. So, last thing we're going to talk about today is kind of the schedule, best case, worst case. Um, so I was thinking maybe we go through the schedule maybe in chunks of three, so split it into three or split it into four quarters. Talk about the the kind of in, in segments of three. Um, I think the first segment obviously is the non-con. Um, plenty to talk about non-con. We could do a whole con- uh, a whole podcast talking about you know the pros and cons of scheduling regional rivals versus playing games that stink for us sometimes when other teams are playing G five and and tune up games. I mean we have some. Um, some Big 12 opponents who are playing like nobody in, in their out-of-conference schedule. So, obviously, starting the season at Beaver Stadium um, is not a fun experience. So, Penn State, next week we play Duquesne at home. Uh, that should be a tune-up. And then, you know, I, I think the biggest one is Pitt at home. That is uh, the Stripe the Stadium at September 16th, 7.30 in Milan Puskar. Um I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I, the way I see it is that the Penn State is like probably you would you would lean we probably lose that, and even if you do, you don't. There's no fault there. Duquesne, you win, but Pitt is like the crux of the non-con. That is like that is the game that that is like paramount in determining the the trajectory of the season. Neil Brown, whatever you want to say. Yeah, it, it's not a stretch to say that that Pitt game could determine Neil's fate. Like. Yeah. You, that is a home night game against your traditional rival. Like we are putting all the energy and effort into it. You, you lose that game. You lose it in whatever fashion, right? You lose it the way we did last year on, on a pick six. You, you get run out of the building or you just, you lose it on a last second field goal, whatever you lose that game. And I, I'm, there's no recovery on, on the flip side, go out and win that game. And yeah. oh God, don't, don't even like, Run the score up, right? Pull, pull the uh, 
the remember the Titans and, and leave no doubt, right? Run the score up and, and make it just 55 to 7 or whatever. And we might forgive you. Like, I, I, I still might be, you know, one of those, you're, you're four and eight at the end of the year. And like, yeah, man, but you put 55 up on Pitt and, and okay, right? Like, there, there's something there. So, yeah, I think in, in terms of the non-con, Pitt's the crux there. You, know, you win that game, we can, you know, we're two and one. We're going into the set, the the second half of the of the or the first the bottom half of the schedule right and and it can be good but one and two and it's going to be really hard to come back tell me uh tell me more about scoring 55 on pit jake that was really good for me keep going (laughs) (laughs) now so like two two and one is the worst case scenario right like um i think the the question so i've been texting some of my buddies about this is like you you say you're, you're two and one would you rather uh, beat Penn State and lose to Pitt, or lose to Penn State and beat Pitt. Beat Pitt, definitely beat Pitt, right? Yeah, you can't lose to Pitt at home. Like seriously, if if Neil loses to if Neil loses to this Pitt team at home, um, pack your fucking bags, bud. You know, like, and I'm I'm as ardent of a climb truster as there is. You know, I've got like my my climbing rope is rated twenty thousand pounds. I got enough room for me and all my friends. I can bring all my gear. Uh, but if you lose the fucking pit at home at night, um, gonna gonna have some tough conversations. But yeah, no, I think I mean you're looking at that two and one, two and one feels realistic, right? Like two and one, two and one should not be too much. Okay, so two and one through the first quarter of the schedule here. I think so. We're so, all- so for you know, best case is obviously three and zero, oh, but. You know what we think the the lowest is one and two, and I feel like two and one is still a very realistic best case. I mean, Penn State is a very good team. I don't know that we're we're on that level yet. Um, we'll talk about it next week, Joel. You'll come around. <laughs> um, okay, so you know we, we're saying our best case, worst case. I feel like we're either one and two or two and one moving into the yeah. conference. Yep. And, and then our next chunk of games, maybe it makes sense to just talk about the next two because then there's a gap. There's yep. Texas Tech and TCU. Texas Tech obviously got some got some positive vibes. TCU was just in the national championship, but also just got gutted. Um, so, so how do we feel? Texas Tech's at uh, in Morgantown at TCU. How do we feel about that uh, that two game stretch to open the conference play? I think you've got to beat Texas Tech. Like I, I think I think you can beat TCU. You know, I think TCU is going to be one of those that they're kind of getting the hey, you made the national championship game kind of love and, and I don't think it's warranted, but you got to be Texas tech. Like, you know, if we're talking about the first half of the schedule, we're talking about probably a loss at Penn state. Okay. We all beat Duquesne, you know, bring your parents out, get to see you play for the first time. You need to beat Pitt at home. You need to beat Texas tech. Well, that puts you at three and one at that point. And then we're talking about, you know, even if you lose on the road to a ranked TCU team, we're probably not, you know, super upset. At that point, you're still three and two. You're still, you know, above above the line. You're you're still treading water and all that kind of stuff. I think you got to beat Texas Tech. You haven't beat Texas Tech yet. You've lost in spectacular fashions. You've lost in you know come from behind fashions. You've just not looked good, and, and we can't figure out why. And I would argue that there is absolutely no reason for us to be zero and four against Texas Tech. They're just, you know, people people can say what they want. The Red Raiders can come after me. They can come to my Twitter if they want to, but. There is no reason for us to be 0-4 against Texas Tech. We should be recruiting better than them. We should be better than them. You know, we're a better team than them. We should we should be beating them. 
We've we've had the better team in three of those four losses. Um, yep. I feel I feel very strong, and we haven't even been good, right? Like this is not me saying that we've been some fucking juggernaut, but like uh, I think that we, I don't know. I personally, I look back on the Texas Tech losses as the worst loss. Uh, just in well, not last year, so they were good, but the previous three years, it was the worst loss of the season in each of those three years. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, so you know, like worst case scenario, you lose both of those games, and it's a fucking disaster. And Neil's probably like, if we haven't, if if we beat Pitt, he's he's okay. Um, but if we have lost the Pitt and then we lose both of those games, that's wheels off the season, and everything probably comes crashing down. On the flip side. I don't think that you're more than a 60-40 underdog in either of those games. Um, Texas Tech, I mean, you know, they're getting all the love. They're getting all that dark horse love. Uh, they, they weren't that far from a, having a pretty similar season to us. Um, you know, like they, they pulled some timely stops out of their ass. They won, uh, I think they went 3-1 and one in one-score games, right? You flip that. If they go 1-3 and three in one-score games, they're 5-7. and seven. Right. And is everybody blowing them the way that they're blowing them this year? And, you know, I get they, they have a ton of guys back. They also lost their best player. Um, top 10 draft pick. Those guys don't grow on trees. So very winnable game there. Um, and like we said, we've been the better, you know, like we just we I don't even know if the, did the team even fly to Lubbock last year. I don't even remember if we just did that or if we just forfeited. But um, this is this is not there's no reason for us to be scared of Texas Tech. We're due against Texas Tech. Just fucking beat them at home. Um, and then TCU, like we said, you know, I thought they were a nine win team last year that just fell ass backwards into, into 12 wins, um, which, you know, good for them. They, they deserve a pat on the back for that. But every single guy, not every single guy, every single guy on the offense who played a role in that is, is gone. And most of those guys are in the NFL this year. Um, and you know, TCU does not recruit considerably, considerably better than it. Now they've done a little better in the portal than we probably have because of the national championship thing, which is, which is fine. But again, not a, not a team that we could be scared of a very, a very winnable game, a very losable game, but not a team we should be scared of. So, you know, I think, I mean, worst case is zero and two best cases. You just win both of them in your five and one going to Houston. Yeah, yeah. Let's just win both. Four, four um, and one going to Houston. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I think Pitt's the number one game circled on the schedule. But if Neil Brown has the next one, it probably is Texas Tech, right? I mean, this team has yeah. embarrassed him every year he's been in Morgantown. So um, I think you guys really covered this for the most part. I mean, I think this is these are two winnable games or two losable games. Um, you know, you, you probably maybe push and go one and one, something like that in here, but. Um, you know, I, I think this is an interesting part of the schedule because you have these two games and then not really like in my eyes, maybe like a true buy. There's this segment where we play TCU on September 30th and then until October 21st, we only play one game, like a, you know, a three week span or whatever. So we have the, the buy and a half to a Thursday night game versus Houston and then the long week, the nine days, whatever, um, until we play Oklahoma State. So I think the next little chunk of schedule I think makes sense to talk about is Houston. So we have a break coming into Houston, then kind of a a long break after. So Houston, Oklahoma State, UCF, and BYU. And maybe I'll I'll share my opinion here first. I think this is, I mean, we're going to know what kind of team we are five games into the season. We're going to know a lot more than we know now. Um, But at a preseason, looking into this segment of four games, like, you got to win three of these. These are three new kids on the block and Oklahoma State who is spiraling downward. Um, 
I mean, UCF's probably the best team of these, but Houston and BYU, I think, are like non-negotiable must-wins in terms of we can't be the bottom part of the conference. Houston and BYU are going to be the bottom part of the conference. This is the fight of like who is the you know who is in this this segment. So I think Houston and BYU got to be wins, and you probably got to get one out of Oklahoma State and UCF. This could be a three and one. This could be a four and zero stretch. In my eyes, this is the soft part in the middle. I would argue that this four-game stretch right here is the make-or-break of the season because yeah. you, you go two and one, one and two to start the year. You, you split Texas Tech and TCU. You're either two and three, three and two, right? You go four and zero. Oh, all of a sudden, you're you've got seven wins. You know, we're already we're ecstatic. We're we're happy, right? But you, you go two and two. You go one and three. Like all of a sudden, you just can't do it. And, and I'll say it, I, you know, I think everyone doesn't want to talk about it. I'm going to say right now, that Houston game's big. Like, yeah. No one wants to talk about it. Everyone wants to act like it's just another game. I guarantee you Dana's looking at it and going, I want to put my fucking foot on your throat and, and make you remember that that you shouldn't have done what you did. And and on the flip side, I think West Virginia wants to go in there and say, look, we, we have the right guy, right? We made the right decision. This is it. And I think that's one of those where that starts it. You go in there and get embarrassed in Houston – you got a long layoff going into Oklahoma State. Oklahoma yeah. State, for the most part, had your number. And then, okay, oh, my God, now you've lost two or three or whatever in a row. You know, can you write the ship? Um, then you got UCF. you got to make another travel. you got to go all the way down to UCF. You know, they're going to be good, but I think you can beat them. And then you got to beat BYU. Like, yeah. I'm telling you right now, if we don't beat BYU, you better just walk away. Go home. Like, it's a bad season because – BYU traveling across state, playing an early game. Like, if West Virginia has any say, make that game 11 a.m. Play that game as early as you can. Just play it early. Make them travel. Make them stay up early. Like, they they are awful. They are awful when they come across the country. Play that game at 11 a.m. and make them go home at 4 p.m. And you, if you can't win that, you have no business playing college football. Completely agree. I think, you know, if I was looking for some pros here, I, I, I think two and two is the worst case here. I think four and oh is probably the best case in this four game stretch. Um, in terms of getting off on the right foot, um, Houston uh, has maybe the worst defense in the conference, right? So I think that's a game you're looking at, even if Dana's dialing some shit up where, hey, we have uh, three former freshman All Americans up front. Um, we have a freshman All-American running back in the backfield. Like, that's one where you just say, you know what? Fuck you. Do whatever you're going to do. We're going to run the ball 50 times. So, like, stop us. You know? Um, you take their soul away. You win that one. Even if you win it by 10 points, you win it, win it like, you know, 24 to 14, like 30 to 20, something like that, right? That's one where you just lean on your offensive line. Same thing with Oklahoma State. Like, Oklahoma State's another one of these teams. I, I know you mentioned with TCU's getting the buzz. I feel like Oklahoma State's just getting buzzed because of Gundy. Um, and you know, because of what the program they've been for the last two decades, like that has any bearing on the program that they are in 2023. This is a program that they, they got ripped apart by the portal. Like we've had some bad portal years. I don't know if we've, even we have had a year as bad from the portal perspective as they have, um, completely new defensive front. Um, Alan Bowman. I mean, talk about a fucking flaccid penis of a quarterback. Like Jesus Christ, like this guy hasn't played a meaningful snap in like two years. This is a game where another one where you just you run it down their throat early, um, maybe try and try and get up by ten points, fourteen points, and like Alan Bowman, you know, is not gonna not he you're not got you're not that guy, pal. You know, you're not that guy. So I don't know. I think 
Yeah, two and two, two and two. Worst case, four and zero. Oh, best case, hopefully we're looking at seven and two with uh, with uh, a trip to Norman looming. All right. So last portion of the schedule, starting off with that trip to Norman. Um, so West Virginia is going to play at Oklahoma. Then we get Cincinnati in Morgantown, and then finish off in Waco, Texas versus Baylor. Um, you know, lots of intrigue I think in the schedule just because there's a lot of fun games like Cincinnati, Houston's meaningful. Obviously, Pitt, Penn State. Texas Tech, like there's a lot of meaningful games, uh, which is nice and refreshing. Uh, but you know, I, I, Oklahoma's clearly going to have the talent advantage. I'm not sure how I feel about Baylor um, just yet, but I do think we're a better team than Cincinnati. So um, you know, one good thing about our schedule is we get all four of the new teams, and I think that's that's something that we have to take advantage of and, and hopefully win four of them, try to win at least three of them. Um, so. This final portion of the schedule, you know, I see a, a one and two or a two and one kind of in this range. Uh, what are you guys thinking here? Yeah, I, I would say uh, at minimum, you got to go one and two. Um, you just, you got to beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati should be at this point uh, exhausted, figuring out that, hey, playing big boy football week in, week out sucks. You know, we all remember 2012 when you just don't have the depth, you don't have the bodies. All of a sudden you're nicked up, you're hurt. You're banged up, you know. Somebody gets hurt, and, and that number two guy just isn't as good as that number one guy, and he's not supposed to be playing sixty snaps a game. So you got to go one and two. Um, I agreed. I don't know how good Baylor's going to be. I think there's a chance you can go two and one. I think we kind of caught Oklahoma off guard a little bit. You know, um, JT Daniels goes down, and we just finally inserted and said, "All right, fine, Green, go go run," and, and that was kind of unexpected and, and pleasant for us. So. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking one and two to finish out the year. Um, you know, if everyone's healthy and everything's going on, but you got to be. Yeah, completely, completely agree. Cincinnati's the must win. Um, Baylor will be a nice to have Oklahoma harder to see. I, you know, Oklahoma is probably one of the two games on the schedule with Penn state where, um, you know, on the road in Norman, we're going to be bigger than a 65, you know, 35 kind of a, kind of an underdog. Um, you know, especially like we talked through their schedule, their schedule is kind of shitty. So they're probably, they're probably going to be like eight or nine and one at this point. Right. Um, probably feeling themselves if they're, if they're marginally better, which I think they should be marginally better. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think two very winnable games to end the year, Cincinnati, you should win that one. You, you probably have to win that one. If we're, if we're any good, you, you should win that one. And at Baylor, I think, you know, Baylor's in a full reset on their offensive line. They're in a full reset in their secondary. That's a game where, I mean, they're, they're not better than us. You know, they're not better than us. It, it, it's a coin flip. Go win the coin flip. Yep. Yeah. That's the way I feel as well. That. Um, so, okay. So, so looking at the season in the whole, what is your, your low end? Like, what is a worst case scenario? What is a best case scenario? I will say my best case scenario here um, is probably like eight to nine wins. Like, I think I think eight wins could be a reasonable ceiling. Um, and you could maybe talk me into nine. I think Oklahoma and Penn State, those are just going to be tough games. Um, and then, you know, you throw a couple more in there. Texas Tech, TCU, and maybe Baylor. Those are those, like, closer to coin flip games. I think we should win. In a best case scenario, we should beat all the new guys in Oklahoma State and win half of those coin flip games, and you know, end up somewhere on eight or nine. My, you know, the the bad the bad side of things is you lose to Pitt and you're one and two, 
and just i mean you know it's 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 one of those things where as the season drags on it's like the <laughs> the vibe is just so off and maybe we even have a mid-season firing of a coach you know like it could go bad it could it could go bad for sure it could be a, a two or three win season if if things really really go off the rails i don't think they're going to be that bad but you know i don't think it's out of play just in the position that we're in now i I think I think worst case scenario is three. I think worst case scenario is you you beat Duquesne and you go two and two against the new boys and those are just your three wins. Um, best case scenario to me, yeah, it's it's nine, right? Like I, you know, you win the six at home. Like there's not a there is not a great team coming to Mountaineer Field, right? There is not a single team that is walking into Mountaineer Field that is 2001 Miami. They're going to put it on us 45 to three, right? Like we can win every single one of these games at home, so that's six, and then you win at Baylor. You win at UCF, and uh, and you win uh, what's at, the, Houston. at Houston, yeah, right. Like, and and how can you say, like, how can you say yeah. that, that that's not like an undoable thing, right? Like, that, I mean, that's there, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Penn State, Penn State's the one team we're we're going to be big big underdogs against. Oklahoma is probably another one we're probably going to be probably a double digit underdog, um, more than a touchdown, almost certainly. Every other game on the schedule. Less than a touchdown. Just go go win the fucking games. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I think worst case scenario is you lose to Penn State, you beat Duquesne, you lose a heartbreaker to Pitt, and you just you can't get over it, and the wheels yeah. come off early. Right. All of a sudden, then you go into Texas Tech, and you're lackluster. Now, all of a sudden, you're one and three. You go into, now you got to travel to TCU, and they and they beat you. Now, you're one and four. And then the inevitable, and then the bad, you know, the, the wheels come off and Dana runs it down your throat and drops 50 on you. And you're looking at one in five and all of a sudden. Jay, get off the, you're not invited back. Get the fuck out of here, dude. This is, <laughs> this is fucking bleak. I can't stand for it. I cannot stand for it. But on the flip side, you know, there, there's the other. You beat Pitt and that, that lights the fire and all of a sudden you roll off one in a row, right? You beat Pitt. And, and let's say, you know, you beat Pitt by 10, and then all of a sudden you beat Texas Tech, you beat TCU, you beat Houston. All of a sudden you're sitting at 5-1, at and one and you're like, okay, we, we can do this, right? And all we got to do now... And we still don't play another good team for a fucking month. Right. And, and even at that point, if all you do is go out there and beat UCF, BYU, and Cincinnati, now you're at eight wins. And, and it's, it's, it's really easy to see it. Um, I think eight, eight, eight is probably, you know, top end there. Um, I think I think there's a, a chance that the wheels come off and, and you know you're looking at three wins, but um, yeah. So I, I think I think there's a coin flip along the way here, and you know we'll kind of see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes these seasons can be swayed so easily by you know like if the pick six doesn't happen last year and we win that pick game, like could the season have gone different ways? Who knows? Um, what if we just win the first two? What if we just don't pick six against Pitt and we don't get triple option to pieces against Kansas? Yeah. We start three and three and what? Three and oh? In review of last season a week ago when we were talking WVU, I really forgot that we were 0 and 2. Like the feeling after that Kansas loss was like, you have got to be kidding. Like I I kind of like blocked that out. The lowest of the low. It was rough. Um, One just super quick question. Will there, is there a chance there's an off uh, mid season firing of Neil Brown? And if so, where's the where where could it happen, or where would that decision like maybe be be made? So I I think that the short answer to that is no. I think you know they they aren't going to fire until you're not bowl eligible, um, and unless the wheels just absolutely come off 
and we're looking at, you know, one and seven, and we've lost to UCF, we could be talking about it there. I don't think that that's going to happen at that point. Um, so you're probably looking at Cincinnati or Baylor being the determining factor of whether or not we're full eligible. And, you know, kind of like last year, if we're five and six or five and, you know, if we're four and seven going in, going in against Baylor, they're not going to fire somebody. Right. So unless the wheels just absolutely come off and and we're looking at one and seven, I can't see him firing, firing him until we're not bowl eligible. And we, we, we got to just be like the team has quit. And to his credit, the team has never quit on him. I, uh, I yield my time. Gotcha. I, I'll just say if it does happen, and I don't think it's likely. If it does happen, I think it's because we are one and five, maybe two and four, but with inclusive of a, a just fall flat on your face versus Houston with a week and a half to prepare. <laughs> that would yeah. that would be the time, and then a long week till the next. I could see that. If you're if you're one and five after Houston, I think that would be the only point in the season that it would happen. Other than that, just just wait. I mean, where it's the kind of thing you're you're kicking the tires in the background in like late yeah. October, but you're not firing them until after the year. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Cool. All right, but that's not going to happen because I think we've talked ourselves into nine wins. I like the six at home, six at home, and the three new guys. Like that's just easy to remember. I think you made the point. There's not a good team coming into Morgantown this year. Great team coming into Morgantown this year. Um, so I'm sold. I just purchased my over ticket. And uh, I'm ready to cash in. Um, any any final thoughts you guys have on the uh, the upcoming season? Just a, a, uh, a viewer note, I guess. Next next week we're doing the Penn State preview. Like it's it's that kind of time. So this is your uh, last last time to get a preseason point across. Anything uh, you want to get out? I just I I can't fucking wait um, <clears throat> for Penn State. Logistically, I've crossed off all of my checks. Leaving, uh, leaving Charleston at about 6.30 on Friday morning. Going to play golf in, in State College, uh, hopefully between 12 and 1 sometime. Uh, get done 5 o'clock, out in State College around 7 or 8, start burning that son of a gun down. So I just I can't wait. Can't believe it's happening. Two weeks away. Let's go. Yeah. My, here's, here's my thing. Garrett Green goes over 3,000 total yards. We're going to have a great season. Preach. That's a good call. I like it. All right. Awesome. Well, as always, thank you for listening to West by Pod. Um, you can find us on Twitter at West by Pod with underscores in between. You can get at us on smokingmusket.com. If you aren't in the Smoking Musket Discord, you should definitely check that out. Uh, lots of good conversation, especially with football season coming up. Awesome place to come and hang out, watch the games if you're not at them, uh, chat with fellow Mountaineers. Um, obviously, uh, thank you, Jake, for joining. You can find him at Nightstare on Twitter. Um, and as we're moving closer to basketball season, make sure you're checking out Unreasonable Doubt as well. Um, another great podcast on WVU Hoops. Uh, but that's all I got. Thank you as always for listening. We'll catch you next time. Take care, gang.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.